back. Conference preview season. It's here. We're 10 weeks away from college basketball. And we kind of realized we had to start today if we wanted to get through all the conference previews we wanted to hit. Because we've got all the leagues. We've got to do our prop bets. We've got to preview week one. We've got so much to get to. So much that you guys are excited about. Uh, and, and so, Brad, we decided we didn't need to run it back with another one of these off-season pods. Let's just get into it. And if your brain's not ready for an ACC preview yet, you're sitting here, you're reading, you're, you turn us on, you say, you know what? It's college football week one. I want to sit back. I want to bet on BovadaSportsbook.com all weekend. I want to see if uh, Ohio State can, you know, not can, can can cover the spread against Notre Dame. If that's your prerogative, that's fine. But this ACC preview podcast should be relatively evergreen unless something uh, big happens in the world of uh, injuries and whatnot, which always is a risk. Uh, but we will get you get 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 the ball rolling on this preseason content because Brad, we're we're here, man. Like we're we're we're, we're, we're classes are starting everywhere. The rosters pretty much have to be set. Like we're we're doing this thing. Absolutely. And the the uh, three man weave has has been doing their team by team rollout previews for like a month now. So uh, people should definitely be in. You know, ready to get the conference preview started. It, it did. It, it did really sneak up on us. You know, at the end of last week, we were saying, "Wait, how many weeks?" And we want to do each of the Power Six and mid-major prop bet a preview. Gonna get started right now. Um, in in the ACC is gonna be an interesting league. As 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 far as our uh, probably the, the, the last preseason podcast that preview of week one that. That may have to be a preview of week one and, and two. I saw John Rostein tweeted out oh, like the like top five games of the week. It was like Wisconsin, Stanford. Um, I don't even. Temple, I think, is playing. Yeah, uh, Temple. That was the one I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I got a text from a few people like, is Temple supposed to be good? Like, did I miss something? And then, no, no, no. This, this slate is just. Is bad, but it is exciting. Yes, obviously the, the the slow start. We talked about this a few times in the podcast, but I cannot wait. Um, preview Temple stuff might be okay. But. Temple might be okay. Yes, Khalif Battle. You know, it's gonna be good. So they don't be great. They're not gonna be great. That, the fact that that's a top five game is quite a statement. So um, I'm very excited. Uh, obviously, these types of preview work uh, does take a lot of stuff behind the scenes. So thank you, of course, to uh, the people who do stuff. You know, other other preview people, obviously. But also analytics, you know, Ken Palm, Torvik, whatever. Those are those, those things are very helpful. Uh, I know I'm very much looking forward to the Almanac coming out from Field 68 uh, and their crew. They do a tremendous job, uh, and obviously those are a lot of our, our dear friends, you know, the Three Weave guys. Hold on, hold on. Guys. No, no free ads. Are they are they cutting us in on this? <laughs> well, I was going to say that I will be using the Almanac to be better for my work, uh, and I will be. Uh, I will even be using it to help me bet over at uh, at Bovada during the season. I mean, I need I need to have a little extra in-depth preview analysis because I can't have the depth that they have because they're talking to all the coaches. I don't have 1,300 words worth of knowledge on uh, on Chicago State, but they do. So shout out to the Almanac. They're not paying us for that advertisement, though. Do you Brad. need 1,300 words on Chicago State? Well, if I want to bet on Chicago State, I might, yeah. Who, who did they add? Oh, they added a Wesley Cardet, right? Or Cardet? And, and Elijah Weaver. Yeah, so Wesley Cardet was a top 100 recruit. Yeah. He's like 
the out of style like huge point guard who can't shoot. Yeah. Um, Apparently he was like, he was, like making shots in like an open gym and people were very excited about it. But he goes to Samford. Yes. Um, one of you know, Josh Cunningham went to Bradley. That was another top top 100 recruit. Uh, it, it seems like the guys who do that often regret it. Uh, Josh Cunningham quick, quickly transfers to Dayton. Wesley Cardet, um, he he didn't have a great freshman year at Sanford, and when that happens, your options are a little more limited. I'm sure he could have gone higher than Chicago State, but right. he's going there to pair up with Elijah Weaver, who has long been a next year he's going to break out guy. Um, worth worth noting that Chicago State has a better transfer class than Northwestern. Just you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, State, who do they uh, who who do they open up with? Who's who's their opening week game? Do we have any? Well, I think I saw this today actually. I, I can't I, remember though. I want to say they play Northwestern early, very early. Let's see. Um, Northwestern basketball schedule. Because I I very well may uh, and I I don't like to gamble on the teams that I uh, I care most dearly about just because. I mean, look, it's it's hard enough. It, it is an emotional roller coaster as it is, but Northwestern does play Chicago State at some point, uh, and I, I do think I would have some fun uh, firing up a little wager over at uh, Bovada and, and seeing if I can uh, cash in here with the uh, with the Wildcats. But yeah, but or, or with Chicago State, cash yeah, in against the Wildcats. That's that's gonna numb your experience when like it's a 22 point spread and Northwestern wins by 15 and you're disappointed. Yes, Northwestern does open with Chicago State on Monday, the the seventh. So, if you're if you're looking for a lit game opening night, there you go. You'll be out of twenty bucks. You'll be down four spots in the net, and, and you will be savoring a uh, avoiding the epitome of brutality. I, I do miss those tweets. I do miss the epitome of brutality tweets. Well, there was a lot of brutality for the ACC. It's a good transition, Brad. Uh, early and often last year, Virginia losing to uh, Navy. Uh, there were several by-game losses throughout the league, and the league got bludgeoned. So kind of our top-line view of the league, I know we all, uh, the way we do these podcasts, in case you're new to us, we kind of give you the top-line view of where the league was last year. Uh, we go through all of the teams individually and where we think they stand. We'll give you our standings projection, um, you know, some of our kind of standout guys, and then um, kind of the, the, the long-term view of maybe some hot seat stuff and where, where the league stands, state of the pro state of the league type thing. So um, state of the league for the ACC was very bad last year throughout the regular season. And then all of a sudden they produced two final four teams. Uh, Carolina makes the incredible run. Uh, and a lot of people say, Oh yeah, well everybody hated on the ACC too early. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think the ACC had a bad year last year. I don't think it was a very good conference. I, don't, I think it's bottom was very, very weak. I don't think it had great talent. I don't think it was coached all that well. But at the end of the day, I think the league does deserve its flowers for the tournament success it had with Miami, with North Carolina, and with Duke. To put three teams in the Elite Eight is not necessarily easy. So uh, we're, I know I know we maligned the ACC at times in the podcast last year. That Brad, where, where's your kind of like end game on where the league was last year and where it could be going? Well, I think the issue with the ACC was, you know, looking at it in the preseason, I remember thinking, okay, UNC is going to be awesome. Duke's going to be awesome. I think actually let me let me pull up my top 100 from last year. I know the big the big disappointment for me was I I had UNC as an elite team the whole season. Um, 
and they didn't turn it on until the the very end. But yeah, I had like NC State as a tournament team in the preseason. I had Florida State 32nd, which was low compared to other people, but that's still a tournament team. Um, I, I had I had Virginia 39th again. That was low for most people, but that was a tournament team. Um, and I had who did I have number three? Oh, I had I had Louisville in the top 25. So. I, I had some some disappointments at the top, which kind of negated the surprising stretch from Wake and Syracuse and Notre Dame and, and the end of Virginia Tech because you're just looking at it and you're saying UNC was supposed to be a two seed and they're an eight seed. Louisville was supposed to be a five seed and they're dreadful. Um, so a lot of teams underachieved. And just looking at where I had these tiers last year, I, I was saying that there was a really interesting kind of NIT tier, like a third tier here, third or fourth tier that had like six or seven teams, you know, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Miami, Syracuse, Clemson, I all thought could be NIT caliber teams. Um, and, and that bottom was just a little worse than anticipated. Yeah, I agree with that. I think a lot of the league's kind of perceived weakness was Carolina, um, was the traditional brands, not just Carolina, right? Louisville was very, very down. Florida State was down for Florida State. Virginia was down for Virginia. Syracuse was down, right? Like all these pro, even NC State, you know, like you're not accustomed to watching ACC basketball and seeing Louisville be uncompetitive, seeing Syracuse be relatively uncompetitive, see NC State be four and 16, see Virginia not make the NCAA tournament, right? Like the, all of those things combined with, okay, Carolina can't defend, Carolina stinks, whatever, it created some worry. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a weird year. I, I think the league's in better shape um, this year, um, but I, I still don't think it's necessarily going to be a uh, world beater. I think the bottom half still holds it back in comparison uh, to some of the other leagues. I think when you look at the depth of you know the Big 12, you look at the depth of the Big 10, you look at the depth even in the, uh, the SEC, I, I think it, it stands up in comparison to the ACC. But I do think the, the, the league should be a little bit better uh, than it's been. Uh, the last couple couple years this year, I think I think the league should should probably be as good as it was last year, maybe a little better at the top. I think UNC and Duke have the staying power. You know, I thought that last year too. Uh, but to be elite teams throughout the season, um, and then I I think they're 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 kind of lacking those second tier teams that like a Big Ten or a Big East are going to have. Um, the real question for me is the middle bottom looks even worse than it did last year. Um, you know, I, I think all teams like basically my six, six through the bottom, either teams got worse or the bad teams got like a little better, but not enough to matter. So, you know, I mean like Notre Dame and Virginia Tech got worse. Q can Houston and Wake got worse. NC State got better, but will it matter? Uh, yeah. and, and I think down down the line, that 8 through 15 or maybe even 6 through 15, uh, there, there's a ton of question marks, which is going to drag down this league. Uh, so let's start and kind of go team by team here uh, and what we expect uh, from each group. We're going to go in order based on the standings from last season. We didn't really know that there was a good way of doing this otherwise, so... Uh, bear with us here. It's going to kind of go up and down. But um, that means we start with Duke, the Blue Devils. 
who uh, went to Final Four in Coach K's last year and now transitioned to the John Shire era. Um, very, you know, impressive recruiting has certainly happened. Uh, and I think that Shire, when you look at this roster, did a nice job of rounding it out in the spring by adding a couple of transfers and adding a late freshman uh, in uh, Tyrese Proctor, who I think has a chance to be really good. Uh, right now, they are 14 to 1 uh, to win it all next season uh, per uh, Bovada. Uh, so an early interesting future number there if you are into that sort of thing. Uh, so so with this Duke team, Brad, I think the obvious like number one potential worry is Jeremy is the fact that John Shire's never coached a game, right? Like, and or that Whitehead got hurt like two hours ago. That too. Um, I was gonna get to that in a second. Sorry, but I think obviously. Like, because Hubert Davis won on that NCAA tournament run, I think it made a lot of people forget the fact that Hubert Davis also struggled a lot early last year. And there were a lot of questions if he if he was the guy to do the job. And because Shire's recruited so well, there hasn't been a lot of those questions early. But it wouldn't take much for there to be bumps along the road here. I mean, I think he, he, he built a well-constructed roster. I think the role allocation is there, you know, with guys like, Jacob Grandison, who's gonna, you know, he he can be the fifth option on offense and hit some shots. I think they have one of the best point guards in the country in Jeremy Roach. I know we've debated that back and forth. Um, and then their front court is super strong with a lot of different styles of play. You have a more of a interior scorer and in Ryan Young. You have a skilled big in Filipowski, an athletic shot blocker, rim runner, and Derek Lively, and then kind of a, a athletic slasher in Mark Mitchell. So I think their front court's solid. I think they have enough shooting. I think the guard plays good. I think that this is like a top five team. Right. So just quickly here, the Derek Whitehead injury, which you mentioned, is a fractured foot. He underwent surgery, but he is, quote, expected to play this fall. Uh, that's per the athletic. Um he can't sit out. He's not Victor Wembanyama here. No, like, certainly he's got to play. Not. Yeah, he's got to play. That this fall is a little bit kind of questionable. And then one thing that this article notes that's important is Jacob Grandison wasn't there over the summer, uh, and Tyrese Proctor was not over there. Was not there over the summer. And so now you're going to lose Dariq for the fall. It's going to be interesting to see how Shire is able to navigate the way he wants this backcourt to look, because those are three really of the four pieces that you expect to pay a play a lot uh, at the one through the three spots uh, other than Roche. So um, I think there is a ton to like here, right? Um, I know Jeremy Wu, NBA draft guy for Sports Illustrated, is very, very high on Proctor's pro prospects. I haven't watched him a ton, so I don't want to put too much on Proctor, um, but I trust Jeremy's evaluation. And I, and he, I think that, while there is some concern with any reclassed guard, right? The idea of having two playmaking guards and Roach and Proctor who can uh, play with each other, can play without each other. Um, another guard in Whitehead who can play really two through four uh, and create a little bit and make a shot. And then Grandison, this elite role player. I think this backcourt is better than people have given it credit because there is no face of it. There's no superstar. Um, and I think this backcourt has a chance to be really solid, combined with, like you said, a frontcourt that should be 
really great offensively because of Filipowski, but also really dangerous defensively because of Lively, who I think is going to be one of the more impactful defenders in college basketball. I think when you look at this roster, the comp- composition is really good. You've got this nice mix of experience with youth. You've got the ta- top-end talent. You've got defensive-minded guys like Lively and Whitehead and Grandison. You've got shooting like Grant with Grandison and Proctor and Roach and Filipowski. You could stretch it a little bit. You've got physicality and athleticism with guys like Mark, Mark Mitchell coming off the bench uh, and Lively up front, obviously. I think there really is a lot to like here. It's just a matter of gelling all these pieces together with a first-time head coach um, with you know so, many, so much pressure uh, to navigate the post-K era. Uh, I think that's the only thing that would hold him back from keeping him in the top five. And I think right now uh, I have them. I'm just going to pull my number real quick so I have it accurately. I'm going to have them at number five in my uh, preseason rankings uh, that will go in the magazine in Sports Illustrated. So uh, that's my current plan is to have them fifth. Uh, and I, I, I think that feels about right for, for the way this group is constructed. I'm going to have them fourth. Okay. Um, so, I mean, top – Top five team, I can see that easily. I so now you you were saying that maybe this Duke team doesn't have like a star power of some of the other top teams, but like like where did um where did Jeremy Wu have Whitehead in his mock? Do you know that off the top of your head? I will pull it up for you because I know that uh I know that he had Proctor as the highest. Yeah, he had, he had like eleventh or something. Well, well, I mean, I, I think most mocks have Whitehead as like a top 10 pick. And now it's always he tough. With the, dude, dude, he was seventh for Whitehead and then 12th for or 11th for Proctor. Uh, and then Lively was 14th. I guess my point is that, like, I don't view Derek Whitehead as like a 15 point a game score. He's I mean, not like a I, traditional college star. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I, I know he, he can attack. He can handle the ball. He, he can create shots. I mean, I could I could see him anywhere, I guess, between, what, 12 and 17 points a game. It's a pr- pretty wide range. But with these freshmen, it, I mean, doing a top 100 player list, it's very difficult to put the freshmen in there. That's why you see a lot of people just say, screw him, I'm, I'm not putting the freshmen in there. But just trying to plop, like, whitehead in. Like, for me, I'm not going to publicly share my top 100 because I don't think it's very good. The one, the one thing I was thinking while doing this was I need to watch more basketball. But I, I plopped Whitehead at like number eight in between Jaime Jaquez and Trace Jackson Davis. And like that that's a pretty high bar. But if you don't put Whitehead, then you're gonna be short on freshmen at the top. And it's it's it it's very challenging um to try to fit these guys in. But like doing a, a, a top one hundred player exercise, I mean I, I had Jeremy Roach as a top twenty five player, like the same range as like Adam Flagler and Isaiah Wong and Caleb Love and Mike Miles. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty highly ranked point guard. Whitehead should be one of the best freshmen in the country. Lively and Filipowski will, will definitely be top 100 type guys. You have great experienced role players. Uh, you mentioned who was Proctor as a lottery pick, too. So, uh, you know, really, really strong top eight as well. I think their bench should be good. High-level star power is there. Point guard play, shooting. Size. I mean, they have they check almost all the boxes, if not all the boxes. Okay, so let me ask you this before we move on: If Duke doesn't live up to that, if they're not a top ten team, why? What? Why? Why will they fall apart? Like, what will be the reason they fail if they fail? 
I think it would be their freshmen were more prospect and player than we anticipated. I, I I know Lively is seen as a guy who's more like prospect than player, right? Like he can shoot threes. I think Lively's gonna struggle def- uh, struggle offensively in college. Right, because his his whole thing is, oh, he can shoot threes. He moves like like incredibly well. He's so fluid, so athletic. He blocks shots. He has all of the the skills, but he he doesn't he he's not gonna go out there and get you twenty and ten and five blocks. You know, he might average under ten points a game on the season, but I still be super impactful. I wouldn't impactful. be surprised if he does. Yeah. yeah, he he's he's someone who has all the skills, but he's a few years away from being like a super producer. And if Whitehead and Filipowski are like that as well, and guys like Grandison and Young were more exposed as not being able to live up to being role guys on an elite team, and you're right about Roach and I'm wrong about Roach, then you know Duke is 16th. Yeah, I, I was going to say the things that could hold me back would be, okay, maybe they don't gel, and number two would be that Roach isn't like a elevating point guard, right? That the, the Roach we saw in March last year that was so clutch uh, – it, it, it was more of a mirage, and we get the ropes that we saw at times hold back Duke in the regular season. A guy that wasn't a huge threat offensively, a guy who turned the ball over, uh, a guy that you couldn't play through the way you the, the way they had to play through Bencaro, and, and they won't have that guy this year on the wing, that, that elite score. They won't have that guy up front with Lively. I don't think they're going to do that with Filipowski either. So that would be my only thing, but I think they're really well positioned to be to be right at the top of this league once again. So um, that's me on Duke. Uh Number two in the league last year was actually North Carolina, uh, who, who, spoiler, is my number one team in the country uh, in the preseason. I don't know if they are for you, Brad. I put them Um, at number two. Number two. Fair enough. Um, Regardless, they have have the third best odds to win the national title over at uh, Bovada, uh, which was straight 10 to 1. So I feel like an, an understandable number, Gonzaga and Houston with a slight edge. I don't think that's unreasonable by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the book on Carolina is this. They didn't, they're, 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 they're kind of deluxe UCLA 2021-22, which is they were somewhat mediocre in the regular season. They found it. They have clearly you know high-level talent. They've now added this high-level transfer in Pete Nance, and you're hoping that they found something in that NCAA tournament run that is sustainable. And I think when you look at this group, there's a lot to like uh, to do that, right? They have they kind of figured out the backcourt um, shakeout with Love and Davis. That was such a issue, I think, for them in terms of uh, reaching their ceiling the first two years of those guys' career. Um, they have Baycott back, who's one of the five best players in the sport, I think would be the national player of the year if Sheedway hadn't come back. Um, you have these really nice pieces to plug in, like Leaky Black and Puff Johnson and Pete Nance, who can be elite role players. I mean, Pete Nance is, I think if he was back in Northwestern, everyone would rank him as like a top 50 player in the sport. And because he's not, or at least top 100, and because he's not, people are like, oh, he's like the fourth best player on this team, which he is, but he's also really, really good. They should be deeper than they were last year by adding guys like Seth Trimble and Tyler Nickel into the equation. Uh, so that was an issue for them last year with the depth. So I, I just I just look at this group and I say, they've got the best starting five in the country. Um, they've got confidence and experience from the sense of the tournament run. They've got real depth now. Um, they're old. Like they, they check so many boxes. And so while they're and their regular season road will probably be a little bit more tricky than Houston's and Gonzaga's. I think this is the best team in the country. I put them in number two behind the Zags. Uh, you know, when the Zags has built these loaded rosters in that league and they can't 
they just can't lose two thirds of their games. It's going to be tough, um, you know, when they're 31 and two or whatever. But yeah, this this UNC team, I, I was toying on putting Duke number one in the ACC and UNC number two, but when when you just drill down and, and you look at it on paper, there, there's really no argument for Duke over UNC. I mean, I just got through explaining where I slotted Whitehead with with kind of a shrug in my player rankings, but there's there's a reasonable scenario where UNC has the three best players in the conference with R.J. Davis, Caleb Love, and Armando Baycott. I mean, I I put Baycott as the sixth best player in college basketball. Love and Davis, I think, will be top 20 players. Caleb Love is such an X factor because he he was so up and down. He he won them some games, and he did some crazy head-scratching stuff. He he, he is also an NBA talent. Um, So him kind of finding his way, finding more consistency – could make this UNC team even even scarier, where they could be like a clear number one if he really takes that step. Then you mentioned Nance. I mean, I, I have Nance at 43 in my player ranking, which yeah, might be low, but I mean he he he's had a great year in a great career in the Big Ten. I think he's a perfect fit in this front court where he can play the four and the five either next to Baycott and add some some three point shooting and some playmaking. Or, or you could slide him to the five and play Styles at, at, at the four, get a little quicker, a little more athletic. Um, even if you need more shooting, guys like Nickel and Puff Johnson can probably slide down to the four. Puff did a lot last year, especially down the stretch. So this UNC has the top-end talent. They have a little NBA juice, ton of experience, great end of the year. Depth is strong, as you said, with Trimble, Puff Johnson, and Styles. Um, there's just a lot to like here. This is a top-shelf team. Right. Yeah, at the end of the day, right, especially if you're going to consider Jeremy Roach one of the best point guards in the country, you have to consider R.J. Davis one of the best point guards in the country. They have one of the three best centers in the country with Baycott. They have, you know, one of the better scorers in the country in Caleb Love. They've got this, you know, top 50 player in Nance. They've got this elite defender in Black. They've got these versatile pieces. Like, I, I don't know. I, like, there, it doesn't feel like there's anything that, that could go wrong, right? And obviously there's plenty that can go wrong. It did last year. <laughs> yes, they didn't guard. They weren't you know, tough enough. But like, because remember at at, at at this time last year, UNC was one of the teams with oh my god, they have too much depth because Kerwin Walton was a starter the year before. Dawson Garcia was you know a, a potential fringe All American. Yes. Fringe first round NBA draft pick, um, and then they, they had Manic as well, um, who who was better than expected, uh, and then they had all. All, all these young guys like Johnson and Styles were, were, were all there as well. So they, I mean, they were they were loaded on paper, and they made it to the national championship game. And but the journey to get there was certainly not what we expected. So that's all I have on North Carolina, Brad. Um, are you good there? Just just one thing. So do you have Armando Baycott is better than than Hunter Dickinson? Yes, definitely. Definitely, well. Yeah, very confident in that actually. I like after this. watching both in the NCAA tournament, like back to back weekends, absolutely Baycott. Way more impactful with his rebounding, way more impactful. Uh obviously like there's a little bit more value to being able to play through Dickinson that you don't do with Baycott, but to me Baycott is just so much more productive, uh, and it just has to be him. Cool. Um so third place last year in the league was Notre Dame. 
which was a very good year for Mike Bray. There was a little bit of like hot seat buzz. It was a very strange year for, for them. Um, but Blake Wesley comes in, he gives them new life, new energy, um, a rallying around this veteran core that had relatively underachieved, I think, throughout their careers. Uh, and now there's another freshman in town that could uh, potentially make a similar impact. And J.J. Starling, who comes in from La Lumiere, uh, La Lumiere School, he played, um, you know, was a fringe five-star, really, really talented combo guard, uh, and, and has a chance to be, again, a centerpiece for this group that is old around him. They bring back Cormac Ryan. They bring back Dane Goodwin, who was really good last year. They bring back Nate Lashevsky, who can really shoot it. Um, but the looming question uh, is in the front court, where they are a little bit thin. Um, I think they're probably going to wind up having to start Lashevsky at the five. Like yeah. this team is very much built to like space you out and make shots and be like beautiful offensively. And I, I think that like when they face like I mean you go through this league right like how are they going to deal with Jesse Edwards and Caden Shedrick and yeah I mean Baycott how are they going to deal with Sidney Curry you know like what are they going to do like it's it's going to be very fascinating to see how they navigate this because uh, they do have some younger guys who could potentially mix in there Van Allen Lubin and uh, Dominic Campbell Uh, but this is a group certainly built around its guards and I think the hope that you know, guys like Goodwin and Starling are able to elevate this team back into the NCAA tournament mix. Okay, so T-Rank for his 2023 projections has Notre Dame as the sixth best offense and the 89th best defense. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not sure about, like, the individual defensive ability of guys like Goodwin and Ryan Wirtz and obviously Starling, uh, but Leshevsky's not a very good defender. Um, at least playing the four. Maybe playing the five, he'll be fine. Uh, but that's still... It, 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 the lineup lacks a lot of physicality. Yeah. Yeah. Lacks the physicality. And, you know, maybe that's where a freshman like Dom Campbell could come in because he's very physical. He's a big, like, wide-body offensive rebounder, carving out space, you know, get it, sealing guys off in the paint. Um, So there's an opportunity for him. Um, Then Alan Lubin, I think he's more of, like, a skilled four, like an inside-out type. Um, So I'm not sure how much... Five he'll play, but um, they they have at least two two solid freshmen in, in the front court worth keeping an eye on. Um, overall, I mean the 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 X factor for this team is going to be JJ Starling, starting point guard as a freshman. He 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 got a late bump to five star status. He's surrounded by a lot of shooting, a lot of veterans as as you mentioned. Um, bench bench should be okay with Hammond and the two two freshman bigs. Um, the, the big question is that is that defense and can, can Starling give you high level you know at least be be a Tyrese Hunter style freshman point guard uh, for the Fighting Irish. I mean I mean look I'll say this I don't think people understood how challenging it is to do what Blake Wesley did for them last year. Oh yeah, and be the best player right like like yes like. Goodwin was really good, but like that team went with Blake Wesley. He was the you know the, the guy that you had to stop on the scouting report to beat Notre Dame, and I, I just even that was only enough to lift them to be you know pretty fringe NCAA tournament. And I just wonder if you run into an issue where Starling just isn't quite good enough, right? Is he is he is he quite 
gifted enough to lead this team. Because I do think, right, I think the pieces around him are fine, but it just doesn't excite me to the level of a tournament team if Starling isn't that dude. And I, I watched them in January, but they came, they played in a, an event in LaPorte, Louisiana, uh, LaPorte, Indiana, excuse me, um, with a lot of the, it's on the NIBC circuit, a lot of really talented teams like Oak Hill and IMG. And he played really well. I think he has a chance to be very good. But I, I think that putting Blake Wesley level expectations on him is really tricky. And to add in the fact that they're going to be, I think, worse defensively without that anchor on the inside in Atkinson, it, it makes it hard for me to get to tournament. I think they're probably going to come up a little bit short. I, I have them right on the bubble. I'm 47. Um, so they just sneak in by like one or two spots. Fair enough. Yeah, I have that's that, that's basically exactly how good they were this year. Yeah, I'm gonna have um, them just outside of the top 50. And you know, I and last year they had, you know, Prentice Hub was much maligned, but I, I I think between Prentice Hub and Marcus Hammond, you probably take Prentice Hub. Yes. Yeah. And then Starling and Wesley, it's gonna be very tough for Starling to live up to Wesley, and, and they're they're a different players. Wesley is. More size, right? He can play more positions. He's not doesn't have quite the point guard skills of Starling. Um, and then if we're saying Atkinson versus the 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 freshman bigs, I think Notre Dame is definitely less talented than last year. Uh, but but this offense still should be very good. Yeah, they're gonna be hard to guard the way they yeah. space it. And yep. Um, that brings us to Miami, Elite Eight, huge year again. Kind of a weird year coming in with. Larinago, you know, it kind of felt like everyone was ready to push him out the door, like get him to retirement. And all of a sudden they have a great year. They win 26 games. Cam McGusty makes a jump. Charlie Moore is like the perfect missing piece. Uh, They get great production from Jordan Miller, the transfer. Great year for Miami. And now Larinago is going nowhere. Big Jim wants to be around for the long haul. He's going to keep coaching until he, he's going to coach till his grave. So like some of the other guys Uh, and, and no team was, quite as good in the portal this spring or a few teams were quite as good in the portal this spring, at least as the Miami hurricanes with the help of Mr. John Ruiz, the um, very vocal Canes booster slash NIL guy. Uh, he gets them Nigel pack. He gets them Norchad Omir uh, and gives this group a really strong core four with pack, a first team, all big 12 guy, Isaiah Wong returning top, you know, high level scorer Miller and then Omir, uh, the mid-major transfer from Arkansas State, who uh, one coach in the uh, Sun Belt described to me as kind of a uh, Sun Belt Oscar Sheepway. A little undersized, but super, super high motor, active on the glass, great hands, uh, and I think will be a guy who can impact the game right away. So uh, Miami, I think, in good shape to, to get back to the NCAA tournament. They have good roster depth, I think, when you look at this team in terms of pretty much everyone was a former you know, good recruit. A lot of younger guys, too, like a Bensley Joseph, a Wuga Popar. Um, you know, Christian Watson, these guys were pretty well regarded. I think they'll miss the ability to space it with Wardenburg, but I think you have to like this group as a, as a potential tournament team. Yeah, I have them in the 30s. Um, I think 32. I'll just check that. The the the, the Pack and Wong backcourt is going to be awesome. I mean, Pack, such a lights-out shooter. Wong, three-level score. I think that's one of the best backcourts in the country. I think they're both top 40 players in the sport. Uh, that's that's going to be really, really fun. The questions are basically everywhere else. I mean, Jordan, Jordan Miller is very good. He'll be fine as either the three or the four. That doesn't really matter. 
but I know the three man weave guys bring up Omir splits a lot, which I mean, how, how many games does he even play against top level competition? Yeah, that could be a sample size thing, but uh, I, I, I guess he doesn't play well against better teams, which makes sense. Like when you look at him, he, he's very slight. Like he's not, you know, you said he's the, the mid-major Oscar Shibway, but Shibway is like big and wide and muscular. Omir is kind of thin. You know, when I, when I was watching some highlights, the first name that came to mind was Hassan Martin, who was on the good URI Hurley teams. I, I, I don't think he can block shots like, like Martin and, you would text me that he he's a better rebounder than Martin was, but this you know or like Hassan French is another one kind of like that where they're like six 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 seven, they're playing like the four and the five and they're just tough and physical and kind of play bigger than their size. My view with with Omier is that like I I I don't think that they need him to be that good offensively, right? Like and 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 the weave is right. I mean the offensive rating they played three. Tier A and B games last year, so not a huge sample size, but his offensive rating in those games was 65.6. He turned it over like it was his job. He, you know, his, his efficiency was worse. Those games were, I think, they played Illinois, they played Texas Tech, um, and I would imagine that the, and the third uh, third Tier A and B was Texas State. But that two games against Illinois and Texas State, or Illinois and Texas Tech, Omir had five points and seven rebounds against. Uh, Texas Tech and against Illinois and Kofi Coburn, uh, he did only have four points and five rebounds. So yeah, a little bit of a drop off. But I think at the end of the day, what they're looking for from him is more energy, small ball five activity level rebounding than it is offensively. Because this team, just like last year, where we built around their ability to make shots, their ability to uh, create off the bounce with guys like Wong, guys like uh, 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 Nigel Pack, excuse me. Uh, and I think that's really all they're looking for. I mean, and they also still have that option to go small with Miller at the five, like they did a few times last year. Now, do you think that their offense will be as potent as it was last year? There's no real replacement for Cam Augusti, although Pack should be better than Charlie Moore, and, and Wong should be improved, and, and Miller uh, as, as as returners. But but they used Wardenberg as like a stretch five last year. Bench should be better on paper, uh, but... But do you think offensively Miami can have the same level of firepower? I don't I don't know that they'll be as hard to guard unless one of these young guys really steps up. They have a lot of those options, right? Like Joseph, Poplar, I think are the two obvious ones. Um, so I, I do think that they lose a little bit of firepower that that I, I, I think particularly in the NCAA tournament. We see, we see this every year. Um, the teams that are hard to beat in the NCAA tournament are the teams that have three guys who are just like, I'm going to go get one. Right, like some of the Syracuse teams have had success in the tournament, and so tournament is because they make shots and they have guys who can go create their own shot. Uh, and I thought Miami had a similar recipe where it was like, all right, like we're we have our limitations, but like at the end of the day, we have three guys who can go beat you, and we're going to be organized and defend at a high level with our intensity, and that'll be enough. And it was. So I do think that maybe they're not quite as elite there, but the pack Wong backcourt is so good that I I think they're going to score just fine, and I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. How about a is 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 the X factor for Miami uh, Norchad? Yeah, probably. Right, he he's the guy that could lead them to that top twenty-five, have a really good year, or keep them. I think more probably. Well, that's all I had in Miami. All righty, then we move to our next team, 
came in fifth last year in the conference. Wake Forest, 13 and 7, 25 and 10 overall. Looked for so long like they were going to go to go dancing and then kind of fell apart down the stretch. Lose Alondis Williams, ACC Player of the Year. Lose Jake Laravia, first round pick. It's going to be a challenge to replicate that. They do bring in a lot in the portal. Tyree Appleby from Florida. Uh, Damari Monsanto, who came in from East Tennessee State, didn't get to play much last year because he was uh, injured. Um, I think came in down the stretch and gave him a little bit, but he's almost feels like a this year addition more than a last year. Uh, Andrew Carr uh, from Delaware, Delaware excuse me. Uh, they bring in Davion Bradford from K-State. They bring in Jao Ituka from Marist. So this is a very different looking group. Um, I think questionable probably in the talent level front, but the backcourt doesn't look bad with Appleby, Williamson, Ituka, uh, and, and Monsanto. I think you more worry about the front court uh, and, and its ability to play at a high, at, at the ACC level with Bradford, who was just okay at K-State, and then Carr, who was in the mix, but not a superstar even for Delaware. You know, the more I look at this team, the more I'm I'm in. The the more I like them. They they they've been creeping up my ACC rankings. I have them now. Um, I have them ninth in the ACC right now, which is up from like 11th or 12th a few days ago. Like I, Just, I still, I still have them thirteenth. They have a lot of offensive skill. Now their uh, defense could be a train wreck. Right. But like Appleby is like a good SEC score. Williamson averaged double figures last year. Monsanto can really shoot it. Most of their bigs are are skilled bigs. I mean, Andrew Carr is someone who's going to step out and shoot it. He can also play a little of his back to the basket. Keller, same way, but bigger and like a top 100 level recruit. I think he was just outside the top 100. Bobby Clintman had a big summer as like a scoring stretch four. Can't guard for source. Really bad defensively, but it's super, super skilled. Can play make, yeah. There's a whole team. I mean, they have three guys in their front court that can step out and shoot, you know, that can that can score with their back to the basket, that, you know, have have a pretty diverse offensive skill set. And they have scoring guards. I mean, Jawatuka, you know, you were saying in, in the MAC he was like impossible to keep in front of. You see how that translates. Um, as like a sixth man, seventh man type of player. Uh, and, and even their their bench guys from last year, you know, Hill just played a little bit. Taylor is a guy who I like coming out of high school, and Robert McCray was a top 150 recruit. So I mean, I mean they they have, they have some solid guys coming off the bench. Defense is a concern, and as you mentioned, top-level talent's a concern because uh, their best player is probably Appleby or Williamson. Yeah. But that's, that's everyone's going to shoot it. Everyone's going to dribble pass a little bit. You know, it's a, it, it's a very skilled group. I also will say I like I would take Steve Forbes over Jeff Capel and over Brad Brownell and over Kevin Keats and like like this group right like. Like I, I read, like I said, I have them 13th right now. I might move that. I haven't, I haven't like fully locked in um, some of the middle and bottom here. Um, like I don't think there's a huge gap between like NC State, Syracuse, Louisville, Pitt, Clemson, and Wake Forest. No, it's not. Not a big gap. From like eight to 14. I think you probably would argue that a lot of those teams are a little bit more talented than Wake, but I think Wake's probably a little better coached. And I trust Forbes to kind of work it out with the new faces. Um, he's generally been very good at that in his career. I think that having guys who have JUCO background is really valuable in this day and age because I think that level of understanding of how to basically build a team for one year and go or one to two years and know how to mesh it all together 
Like, I think that's one of the reasons I think Chris Jans will be successful at Mississippi State. It's the same thing. I think we mentioned it last week. Like, I think there's real upside in, in that. And I think that will help them with all of these new faces, with Appleby, with Carr, with Bradford. But, you know, I, we'll see, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not bullish here, but if this was an NIT team, it wouldn't surprise me. They don't have Alana's Williams or Jake Laravia a level player. And but, I, you know, at this time last year, we said that they didn't. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we got to stop doing that for every every team with Wake Forest, with the breakout players in Iowa State, with the yes. breakout team. Yes. We, we, we just got to trust that those those teams and players aren't going to slip through the cracks anymore. We, we, we got this covered. If if Steve Forbes turns Jawatuka into Alondis Williams, then he can have the AC. They can rename the ACC Coach of the Year award after him. How about that? Right. <laughs> Who needs like a Coach K award? This is this is the this is the Steve Forbes award, despite him never making the NCAA tournament. Um, He's gonna shoot the lights out. Anyway, that's Wake. I don't have a ton more there. I think probably bottom half, but could be still feisty. Um, that moves us to Virginia. Who came in six last year, 12 and eight in the ACC. Um, not a talent, not an overly talented team. But remember, this was a Virginia team that that started to come together late in the year. Like this was ugly early in the year. They couldn't score. They lost to Navy. They lost to James Madison. Um, you know, they got hammered by Houston. They just didn't look pretty. And by the end of the year, this is not a team you really wanted to play. They beat Duke once. They nearly beat them another time. Um, you know, Shedrick started to come into his own. Beekman started to find his flow. Uh, Jaden Gardner was really good down the stretch. Like, Jaden Gardner, I think if – and we talked about in the past about how the, the portal guys have not necessarily lived up to it year one under Tony Bennett. And that was an exception this year with Gardner. Gardner averaged 15 and 6, was all-conference in the uh, – or, yeah, an all-conference level guy. Um, you know, down the stretch was really, really good. Like, if you look – if you if you look their last 15 games of the season last year, Jaden Gardner averaged if it'll load that would be helpful. Um, like Jaden Gardner was dominant down that stretch. I mean he was legitimately like a first team all conference level dude. Um, yeah, I mean his final 15 games last year he averaged 17 points, six rebounds, and shot 49 percent from the field. Well, that's a beast, and they're gonna run it back. They do add a lot of um, a lot of depth here with some of these young players like Isaac Trout, uh, Leon Bond, but also the transfer Ben Vanderplas. I'm curious, like who actually is able to break through and really impact things. But theoretically, this should be a slightly better bench. This should be a really old team, and I think a team that has a chance to be a top 25 team just because of the experience level. Yeah, I have them at number 19 overall. I'm I'm, I'm buying back on Virginia. I sold last year, but I'm back I'm back in. The, the whole thing with Virginia is you need continuity. Guys have to be in the system multiple years, and you know that's kind of true for all transfers, but in, in newcomers, but it, it seems it, it, it's it's been proven out basically, even more so with Virginia. And you know they they were in a tough spot last year where they they should have had Trey Murphy. He blew up late. Um, so they're missing that number one talented guy, but you mentioned Gardner had a huge statistical season. I mean, 
him, you know, another year in the system, plus Kadeen Shedrick, who's ready to explode. I mean, he's huge. He is athletic. He's a monster on the defensive end. He it has is, a, It is unreal how he's changed his body. Like, he's do you so remember? Explosive. I want like, do you remember the pictures like when he committed, and you were like, that kid looks like you could like break his arms in half like with your bare hands. Yeah. And now he is like Hulk. Guys, and he, then. I mean, Armand Franklin was someone who didn't really live, live up to, to expectations. He he was hot and cold. S- same thing, an- another year in that system. And the Clark Beekman backcourt, we're going on like year three there. Um, so there, 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 there's so much continuity. And, you know, I, I have Gardner and Shedrick both as top 100 players kind of toward the back there. Um, and then the, we'll, we'll see how, how the depth turns out. It's mostly new guys. I'm sure Kafaro will be a fine backup center, and Vanderplas is going to play. And we'll see which one of these guards slash wings, you know, sticks here. But I think that the the talent level is good enough to be a top 20 team. Once you factor in that Virginia continuity. So, so here's an interesting number for you. The last two years, and I know you kind of point to that as being the, the, the last two years as being like part of that like continuity level. Um, Virginia's had its worst two defenses since Tony Bennett's first two years for Ken Palm. They were 59th in defense last year. Like they were not a wrecker on that end of the floor the way that they've been, and you know, I do think part of that's personnel, right? Like. They have small guards. They have like a burly forward who's not, you know, J- Jaden Gardner is not Isaiah Wilkins. Um, I do think it will help playing more Shedrick. Uh, he is a high level block shot guy, top 20 in the country in block rate. I think the, the sooner that his minutes go even further in his, all the minutes go even further in his favor and less to Kafaro will be the, to the benefit of this team. Um, not that Kafar is bad. He's just, I don't think he, he adds what Shedrick does. Um, but, like, we can't count on this team to be, like, a top 10 defense. And we can't count on them being substantially better offensively. So, like, where does that leave you upside-wise? Which is why I'm keeping them just outside the top 25. It's just, like, I, I look at it here, and I'm like, okay, like, they're going to be good. Like they're going to be fine. Like they're going to be tough and hard nosed and well coached and disciplined. But like, are they like, am I like super confident that they're top 25 defense or a top 25 offense? No. Well, I mean, we've, we've established that Reese Beekman's one of the best point, point of attack defenders. Shedrick should be a monster in the back. So you're starting at least with there. And I know that they're very small. But so why were they not good defensively last year then? Because of the continuity. Why? Which I'm going to say, you know, you're saying Jaden Gardner is not Isaiah Wilkins, and he might never be anywhere close to that level of defender or the Jack Salt or the Darian Atkins. But those guys became such good defenders because they were in the system for so long. That's fair. So we'll see another year in the system, maybe, you know, Armand Franklin or Gardner or, or or whoever just turns into a monster defender. And that's the upside, right? Is that they become that this team becomes a Virginia level defensive monster and has Jaden Gardner and has 
you know, a good point guard in Kihei Clark. Look, Kihei Clark has earned some of the hate, I think, but also, like, at the end of the day, like, Kihei Clark's fine. Like, every, every team in America would be happy to have Kihei Clark on the roster. Um, I don't know about that. Maybe, on the maybe, roster, maybe every maybe, coach would, but not every fan base would. Okay, fine. fine. I, I wouldn't want him on this Providence team. You wouldn't want him on the team at all? No. You wouldn't take him as the backup point guard? No, Jake... Jaden Pierre is going to be get lost, incredible. Brad, get lost. Listen, you got to let the young guys breathe. You no. got to feed them some minutes. If, if, if you say for this season only, Clark or Pierre, okay, I'll take Clark. But you got to let these young guys breathe. You can't be like, if poor Isaac Trout, he's not going to yeah. even sniff the floor this year. I do, I do have Virginia third. In the uh, in the conference. Me too. Me too. Just ahead of Miami. Brings us to our next team. Last year's ACC tournament champions, uh, Virginia Tech, finished top 20 in Ken Palm. We're always kind of an analyst darling throughout the year, but never looked like they were going to have a resume and started really slow in the ACC, but kind of charged their way back into it and then won four games in four days in the ACC tournament and uh, took it out of the committee's hands. The wins over Duke and Carolina in that run were very impressive. This is a very new-looking group, though. They lose Keve Aluma. They lose Naheem Aline. They lose Storm Murphy. Uh, so three pretty significant pieces to this group, uh, as well as some you know, down the down the rotation guys like David Ngassan, who's off to Kansas State, John Ojiako, who's off to George Mason. So um, I think that's like five of their top eight, five of their top nine, uh, who they have to replace. And the question with Virginia Tech, really, I think, Throughout us doing this podcast, has always been like, are they? They have enough talent. They've 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 kind of been a team of fourth and fifth best players. Uh, they do add a transfer in Grant Basili uh, from Wright State, skilled forward. Um, they bring in John Camden from Memphis. They bring in a highly rated recruit in Rodney Bryce, uh, who is at Dematha. But I think a lot of this team's upside is the Sean Padula and Darius Maddox breakouts. If if those two guys step up, this is a tournament team, this is a dangerous group. If those guys look like, you know, what they looked like last year, this team probably comes up a little short and doesn't have enough. Yeah, I mean, both both guys showed flashes, but Maddox is the one I'm really eyeing for a breakout. Kind of the the cons are he, he, he's pretty slight. Like, he, he he's going to be playing the three, uh, but he, he can score at all three levels. He can really shoot it. Think, think he, he he's someone who could be like a first team all ACC guy sneakily, you know, average 17, 18 points a game. Whoa, 17? I think he has that upside. This year? Yeah. Whoo, that's. Bullish. He was on my breakout players list when we did that a, about a month well, ago. I, I think he's a breakout guy. I don't think he's a 17 point a game guy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that's the most likely outcome, but I think it's certainly possible. Like, so. like, like, what did Mike Devo average at, at Georgia Tech? I mean, you know, guy, Alondas Williams did 19 last year. Yep. And, and, and like Maddox is a is a scorer. Yeah, who do you and, think is Who do you think is the best player on this team, though? Maddox. You think he's better than Couture and Mutz? Definitely better than Couture. I'm 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 not a Couture guy. Well, I'm a big Couture guy. 
He, he's just kind of like a gritty shooter. Like, like, like he gives you more grit than he's your got average some shit shooter. To him. He's got some shit to him. And then, and then Mutz is a very cool, like, glue guy. You can, like, pass, and he can do all the little stuff. But for a best player, I, I think Maddox is the best player. It's funny, because when Naheem Aline transferred, somebody tweeted, I, I, I think it was a Virginia Tech fan, that, like, oh, like, Aline was good, but they need him to transfer to clear out more minutes for Darius Maddox. And Aline liked the tweet, which I found funny. Um so everyone can see it, that this is going to be the Darius Maddox show. Uh, but this team should, should have a lot of shooting around Mutz. I mean, even Grant, Grant Basile, who's you know, mid-major big, he can step out and shoot it. Um, Padula and Couture and Maddox and even Rodney Rice off the bench. You know, there should be a lot of shooting here. I think the Virginia Tech optimists are saying just plug in Padula for Murphy. Mutz takes the 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 Aluma role, I guess, is what they're saying. I mean, I I, I have Virginia Tech is a bit concern, a bit concerning. Yeah, I, the facility's not Kevin Aluma. I neither, on I, either end of the floor. Defensively, I think will be a big concern is that Aluma could guard, and I'm not sure Basili can. I I have the Hokies 60th, um, which is sixth or seventh in the ACC for me. I have them seventh, so just outside the top 50, just like Notre Dame. Yeah, I have them. I have them seventh as well, and sixtieth. So you have them missing the, the tournament as well. I do, but I think they're them and Notre Dame were like bubbly, and I think there's a bit yeah. of a drop after that. Shooting's there, skill is there, Max is there for the breakout. Point guard play is a little concerning. Uh, I, I mean, even Storm Murphy was tough last year. Padula was tough. Yeah, even even Storm Murphy took took a while to get going last year, like like most point guards. Uh, bench is a little soft. Um, Rodney Rice, Camden, and Poteet. Yes. The backup that's, center from Rice. Yeah, it's not really measuring up to other teams. Um, yeah, they, they, they will definitely shoot it. They'll definitely be analytical darlings and favorite of all the bloggers and stuff, but I think that they come up short again. I mean, they, they have made it last year, but they wouldn't you're, have been that. They're a large team. You're a Virginia Tech hater, though, so... They, they would not have been that large team last year, especially because the committee was out to lunch all weekend. They oh, weren't yeah, watching the games. They didn't pay attention at all. Um, that brings us to Florida State, which is, I believe, the turn or, or the halfway point of this podcast. So if you made it this far, congratulations. We probably will not spend as much time on the worst teams as we spent on the good teams, but you never know. Um, FSU. Down year under Leonard Hamilton. I think last year there were a lot of warning signs in the preseason that Brad, you rightly pointed out, and a lot of people just did the, like, trust Leonard Hamilton thing, which considering they had built, you know, four, uh, five of the past six years and had a team that was a four-seater better, if you count the COVID year when they were, you know, a top-five team heading into the uh, NCAA tournament, maybe that was somewhat justified. But a lot of the issues... evaluate the rosters. A lot of the issues did come to play. The point guard play was mediocre. The backcourt play in general was very mediocre. The frontcourt didn't have the same type of juice. Uh, there was a lot of new faces. This team, every time it looked like it turned a corner, I think they won five straight at one point in January. Uh, and you started to say, okay, maybe this team has got something. Maybe they're figuring it out. You know, this is Leonard. And then they, 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 they really struggled late in January and into February. They lost to Georgia Tech, who was really, really bad. Uh, you know, they got beat up a few times, just blown to smithereens by a few teams. I got hammered by North Carolina, got hammered by Duke, 
got hammered by Boston College, ended their season by losing by 40 to Syracuse. Like this team was not competitive. So um, certainly I think there's there's room for growth. I think they will grow. They bring back Cleveland. They bring back Caleb Mills. They bring back Cam Fletcher. They bring back uh, Jalen Worley. Uh, and, and they certainly bring in some talent as well. Uh, but this is definitely a team that has some guys that have to grow into roles. And they need more from Jalen Jalen Worley. They need more from Matt Cleveland. They need something from one of these young centers. Uh, and, and they really, you know, they need it to all come together. So I, I think it looks to me like it's probably a tournament team, uh, but I don't know that it's necessarily. I, I'm not. I'm not sure I'm buying the top 25 love that I've seen spread around here. I don't. I don't hate top 25. I I live at 35th, which is fifth in the ACC. Now, the two big keys here are the potential sophomore breakouts from Matthew Cleveland and Jalen Worley. And, and, now, and now Cleveland averaged 12 points a game last year, so it wouldn't really be a breakout. But I mean, he, he shot the ball really poorly. He was someone who was supposed to be a lottery pick who really fell off the radar. So he could he could really take a step forward and be you know, the team's best player, be a top – I think I put him 54th in terms of top 100 players. Um, and then Worley was basically a non-factor last year. Again, great, great recruiting pedigree. He has the point guard position to himself now that uh, Raquan Evans is gone, and it's it's, it's time to show out. And I, I think Florida State did, did a good job getting a shooter. They added Darren Green from Central Florida. I think it's an underrated addition. He can really shoot it. He'll add some uh, you know, nice pop as like a sixth man. Caleb Mills. Hasn't quite reached Houston Caleb Mills or prime Houston Caleb Mills. His uh, numbers were pretty good last year, but um, they're going to need a little more from him. But that should be a nice a nice foursome in the backcourt. The real X factor, though. Go, on. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, the, the real X factor, though, is Baba Miller. Yes. Coming over from Spain, they've sold him probably on being the next in the Jonathan Isaac – Patrick Williams line. He's huge. He has a ton of skill. He's just very raw. Um, I, I, I've seen some of draft Twitter have him as like a lottery pick. He's like 6'10", 6'11", combo forward. Again, t- tons of skill, and we'll see how that can translate immediately for the Seminoles. Just hasn't, he just hasn't really been productive anywhere he's been. Like, he moves really well. He's very intriguing. He'll probably be in the rotation, but I just don't know that I, I don't I don't know that I can count on him as a producer this year. Like I think he's going to be more a guy that's fed minutes and you know maybe winds up blowing up kind of like John Butler did, where okay like he gets four fed minutes he's like not bad and then he just like leaves because of the upside. And I think I think it's my main concern. I mean John Butler didn't get drafted, didn't get a two way, didn't think enough. Um, I don't know. I, I I go back and forth with this too with this team because. On one hand, like you see, there's 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 something to like here with this backcourt if it breaks right. But also, what you really have is a volume guy in Caleb Mills, uh, turnover machine in Worley, and then Cleveland, who you, as you said was was relatively inefficient, you know. So it it's just tricky to me to like get over the hump and say this is going to be a really high level team. And I, I again, I, I think there's room for growth without question with these guys, but I'm not like. 
I'm just not like enthused by the roster enough to say that I like this is the top 25 team. I do think that Leonard Hamilton probably gets it back to the tournament, but I wouldn't be surprised if like a Warley just, you know, doesn't make the leap, right? I mean, I think, again, this is another example of a program that for the most part, and yes, they did bring in Green to help as a shooter and Jalen Ganey to help solidify the center's position. Like Leonard Hamilton didn't watch Jalen Worley struggle last year and say, okay, we need a grad, grad transfer point guard. We need a point guard. We need, to, we, need to, we need to get a transfer. He stuck with his guys. They really weren't even in the market. I mean, they were they were very quiet. Uh, and he's going to roll the dice and hope that Worley can make can be that guy and make that internal improvement. It was rough at times last year, but the pedigree is certainly there to be a high-level player. Yeah, I mean, they, they added five freshmen. Right. Uh, I think the one who's most likely to play is Chandler Jackson as like a backup point guard. He has a lot of size. He can play multiple positions. He can hit shots. Yes. Um, the rest of these guys profile more as like developmental guys. Yes. Um, Cam Cohen, I think, was top 150. I think he's he's, he's interesting. I saw him play. Yeah. He, he's like a skilled center. Um, Tom House and Jeremiah Bembry are a wing shooter and I think a big guard, a big combo guard, yeah. respectively. They both. Green is hurt. Deontay Green is hurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Green Green was hurt last year, at least. Um, he, he was a top 150 though at, at the four spot. Um, so, you know, this this is more of a long-term freshman class that they and then they added Darren Green to bolster the shooting, bolster the bench. They have Cam Fletcher who may start at the four uh, if Bob Bob Miller doesn't start. He he's like a very good athlete combo forward. And then the center duo of Jalen Ganey who's an athletic shot blocker and Naheem McLeod who's just like the, the huge monster in the middle. The classic yeah, like seven, three. Florida State Giants. Yeah. yeah. So I do have this as a tournament team. I have this team currently fifth in the uh, ACC, just right on the bubble. Uh, it seems like you're a little higher on them. Which also means I'm higher on the ACC than you are. Yeah. Sounds like it. If you have Florida State on the bubble, Notre Dame on the wrong side, yeah. I have Florida State safe at – you know, 35 and you're, 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 you're drinking the ACC Kool-Aid. I, I, I really don't like the bottom. Though. Yeah. Fair enough. From eight down, I don't really like. But. Okay. Well, next up we have Syracuse. So this is starting to get towards the potential bottom. Uh, Syracuse last year, like their failings were very obvious in the preseason. Like they were a very easy team to handicap where you heard all the buzz, like, oh, Jesse Edwards breakout. And you're like, kind of, it's not going to matter if they can't get stops. And you're like, oh, Cole Swider is going to be really good for us. Was it kind of, kind of not going to matter because they're not going to get any stops. And Cole Swider's an NBA player, and Jesse Edwards averaged like 13 and 7, and it still kind of didn't matter because they couldn't get stops. So different looking team now. Lose both Bayheims, lose Swider. Could be a lot more athletic, but very young. Did not really hit the portal this spring with the exception of uh, Munir Hima, uh, the project big man from Duquesne, uh, and projecting to potentially start a couple of freshmen and, and Judah Mintz and Chris Bunch. Also maybe Justin Taylor could be in the, that mix. Benny Williams, where does he stand? Barely played as a freshman, was a really well-regarded recruit. These, these massive question mark holes at two through four to go with a proven point guard who's a bit up and down in Gerard and a proven center who's got an injury history in Jesse Edwards. Yeah, they last year, Syracuse had too much shooting. They, they like overkilled on shooting and not enough athleticism. They didn't have too much shooting. They didn't have enough athleticism to go with the shooting. Exactly. But if you had 
a guy like Cole Swider who could shoot like Cole Swider but was athletic like Benny Williams, they'd be in the NBA already. They'd, yeah, they would. They would. They, yeah. they they wouldn't exist. Um, so so they had too many shooters this year. I think it's, it's a little more balanced where you're gonna have Gerard who can really shoot it, um, and then if uh, Justin Taylor and, and and Chris Bunch are both shooters, probably one of them starts. And you have more athletic guys like Judah Mintz. Mintz, Mintz can shoot a little bit too. He he can play in the mid range. He can create off the bounce. And then Benny Williams, who's like an athletic four. Uh, basically, his 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 job to lose at the four. Um, and then surrounding Jesse Edwards, who should be a pretty high level center. I I know fouls were a concern for Edwards last year, but I mean the perimeter defense of the Bayheims and Swider and Gerard um, certainly didn't do him any favors. So basically, if you're in on Syracuse, you're basically really in on these freshmen. Mince was top 50. He he's going to start right away. Taylor and Bunch are both shot makers. I, th- I think Taylor profiles as a better shooter. Bunch is a better athlete, but they but they're both you know shooters. Um, and that's and that's where your mileage is going to vary. Yeah, I mean, I guess my thing is like I'm not totally sure. Do you do you consider Joe Girard an above average high major point guard? Maybe he sneaks above average, but he's he's fine. He, he's like the teams around Syracuse in my depth charts. Kadari Richmond, give me Kadari Richmond. Juice Hill, probably give me Juice Hill. Over so, so, I mean, the thing right is Joe Girard's an elite shooter, but he's not a great decision maker, and he's never shot over forty percent from the field. He's not athletic at all. Not athletic, doesn't really defend. Like, like, is that the first or second best player on a tournament team? No. No, he should not be your first or second best player, but he's he's a fine starting point guard. I do think it'll help him to have Mintz next to him, both defensively, but also like to have another guard like who can kind of create a little bit. I think it will help him. But I think at the end of the day, I, I just don't think there's enough, right? Like, like, like to me to talk to talk me into Keys as a tournament team, like. It's like Edwards stays healthy and is productive. Gerard is the best year of his career. And, like, I need, like, a surprise one and done for Mintz. And this, and this bench is not good. Right. Your, your, your bench of Symeer Torrance as, like, your glue guy, third guard, either Chris Bunch or Justin Taylor, who are, like, fringe top 100 recruits, so, like, top 120. And then Munair Hina, who was not productive at Duquesne. Yeah, our horrendous Duquesne team, by the way. This is this is a brutal bench. Yep, another team that really should have hit portal harder. Really should have. Yeah. Would you feel so much better about this group if they had just like stacked up, you know? And but as as we know, why didn't why didn't Syracuse get Rizul Diggins and Matt Cross? Like, would you feel better about Syracuse than Rizul Diggins and Matt Cross? Yeah. Um, I think I'd rather. I have Judah Mintz and Rizul Diggins for yes, next year. I agree with that. I yeah. agree with that. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, there, there are not Simer, many wing Simer shooters Torrance on the market. Simon Torrance or Rizul Diggins? Rizul Diggins. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there, there aren't many wing shooters on the market, so maybe they're better off with Justin Taylor. Because, like, look at – I mean, Providence is going to start six foot three. Noah Locke is their wing shooter. Yeah, but Justin Taylor is a non-top 100 freshman. And there's going to need him to – Stand in the zone with his arms up and shoot threes. So pretty much. So that's Syracuse. I have them between 50 and 100, probably around like 65, 75. Don't think they'll be that good. 
Don't think they'll be that bad though. So yeah, I've I've ranked my top sixty. They're not in my top sixty. Virginia Tech was sixtieth, so yeah, yeah, probably in the sixties or seventies. I have them eighth, but Wake Forest is nipping at their heels. Yep, I I right now have them ninth. Not wedded to that though. Could really be anywhere from like that eight to twelve range for them. All right, next up we have Clemson. Clemson went eight and twelve in the league last year. The floor has generally been pretty high under Brad Brownell, but this is an important year for Brownell. It feels kind of hot seat e. Although every year for Brad Brownell that he comes off a non NCAA tournament team feels hot seat e. Um, but it does, you know, when you talk to people in the industry, that is a job that people feel like could open up this year if this team if this team doesn't dance. I think a lot of people this is the year. It's expected to open, and I do think when you look at this roster, you don't feel great about them dancing, right? They didn't do it. You know, they lose a good amount in the backcourt. They lose Alamir Dawes, uh, and they lose – who's the other kid that they lost? Uh, Nick Honor and David Collins. So three starters in the backcourt all gone. Um, P.J. Hall, their best player uh, up front, has been injured all summer uh, with a, I believe, like a patella subluxation which is like something that needs surgery. It's like a multi-month deal. Sounds like they hope they can get him back for the regular season, but that's not a guarantee. And like, how mobile will he be? How how good will he look? Um, there's a lot riding on like some not overly talented guys, right? Like Dylan Hunter, top 150 point guard, might be the starter. Brevin Galloway, college at, good at college at Charleston, pretty mediocre in the ACC. Got to be the starter at the two, right? Like, the benches, Josh Beadle and Alex Hemingway and Ian Sheffline and Chauncey Wiggins. Like, it doesn't strike me as an overly talented group. And again, Brownell has generally been high floor, right? Like, you look through here, there have not been a lot of bust years. There have not been a lot of, like, holy crap, this team stinks. But the idea that he's going to elevate this group into a tournament team that would probably be one of his best coaching jobs yet. I mean, the last, they, they, they've been worse than they've been worse than eight and 12 once in the last nine years. So, you know, the idea that they're going to stink, probably not fair. They haven't been outside the top 75 in Ken Palm since 2015. Uh, so again, I think they're going to stink, probably not fair, but there's very little that excites me about this group. And again, a team that has had a glaring hole at point guard all summer and, and, and appears to be sticking with Dylan Hunter there. Well, I, I mean, they, they could definitely stink. I mean, their best players hurt. They lost their whole perimeter from last year with Dawes, Collins, and Nick Honor. They didn't replace them. Well, well, they added one transfer, Brevin Galloway, who was a reserve, right, on Boston College. It was not very good. As as you mentioned, they, they had a couple, like, three-star freshmen. Chauncey Wiggins is, like, an athletic four. I've seen him play. He's, he's nothing... There's excite, it yeah. seems like I was reading an article and like the one freshman that they were really hyping up was Wiggins. So he, he is very athletic and I think he can face up a little bit, but those guys need more seasoning, you know, like it's like really skinny power forwards that are like actually big men and they can't like handle the ball or plant plan the wing. They need some seasoning. Um, Chase Hunter and Hemingway played last year. Off the bench, they're going to need them to make a massive jump. I mean, there's – especially without P.J. Hall, we'll see when he comes back. But the, the the overall talent level is pretty low. This is the least interesting team in the ACC, I think, by, like, a, like a significant margin. Like, I think I could not watch a Clemson game this year and, like, not care at all. 
maybe Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is also very uninteresting. But Clemson, like, I, it, this is just like the biggest like shrug of a roster I've seen going through this preview. It's very light on talent, and they didn't hit the portal, so that's nothing exciting about this. When, when everyone else is hit, hit, hit in the portal, yeah. you're kind of left left behind, at least on paper. Yes, agreed. Uh, again, floor probably not that low, but no, I have them 13. Come back, it could be, yeah. I have them 12, just above Wake, but I might flip that. Torvik has them 57 in the preseason, which feels very high. I had Torvik up. Let me click on Clemson and see what's going on here. He has them 57th in offense, 58th in defense. So it's kind of balanced there. He has P.J. Hall having a huge year. What is he, like 18 and 10? 19 and 8. Yeah, why not? Um, Hunter Tyson, 14 and 7. Right. And then every... Everyone else, uh, I mean, he, he has a pretty good year from Shefflin, 5-5. Five and five. Whatever. Yeah. All right. Next up, Louisville. Train wreck last year. Started not horrendously, then brought Chris Mack back and became horrendous, and then got worse when Chris Mack left. I think there's always kind of like some hope that, like, you fire the coach midseason, and it kind of fires up the dudes, and, like, everybody goes to bore for Mike Pegues. And that did not happen. They were really, really bad. That was one of the worst Louisville teams I can ever remember. Um, Kenny Payne comes in. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. The lack of roster movement has been interesting, to say the least. Um, They haven't been aggressive, necessarily, adding bodies from the portal. Yes, they brought in some talent, right? Obviously, Brandon Huntley Hatfield, former top 30 recruit. Uh, Devin Ree, former top 75 recruit, was committed to LSU. but for the most part, have stood relatively pat. Um, brought in one guy in Fabio Basili to help sturdy up the backcourt, but it's still very thin. This is a roster of guys who at points throughout their career have underachieved, but had good recruiting pedigrees. And there's a lot of size. There's a lot of physicality and a lot of size on the wings and up front that I think they'll be able to exploit. But I don't consider this team to be like, I don't look at this team and say, wow, this team is loaded with talent. And I certainly don't look at this team and say, wow, that team looks balanced and like built to win. So I'm pretty low right now in Louisville. I think I haven't 10th again just because I, I don't know that they're going you know, to stink, stink. But like, you know, I think we said it last week or two weeks ago, like it's going to be a, like a rude awakening when this team goes 0-3 at the Valley Invitation. Yeah, I put them 14th right now. Wow. I mean, they have the one guard. Wow. Uh, we, we went... Went through this all last week, but right. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to beat the dead horse. Even here. like guys that I'm like pretty certain are going to be solid. Like Roosevelt Wheeler played like 120 minutes last year. He averaged 1.6 points a game. Like I think he'll be a fine backup center behind Curry. I mean, I mean even Curry, Curry only played 14 minutes a game last year. And like looking at Louisville stats from last year, I just can't wrap my head around why I thought this team was going to be top 25 good. Like in, in in retrospect, this team was like vastly untalented. But like between like Mason Faulkner and Jared West and Matt Cross and Dre Davis, I think, and, and Noah Locke, I mean, they they would take all those guys for the season in a heartbeat. I I, I still can't get over the makeup of this backcourt. Wait, what's the argument, right? Like, if you're a Louisville fan, like what other than like Kenny Payne is God. Like what's the what's the sales pitch to me that like oh this team is gonna make the NCAA tournament? 
I, I don't know. I mean, oh, Ellis is great. Jalen Withers figures it out. Sidney Curry figures it out. Brendan Hartley, like it's like there's so many things that have to go right for this team to be competitive. Well, I mean, like El, uh, Albert Ellis, he was a great JUCO recruit who last year I think played mostly the two, right? Because Faulkner and West were the two point guards. Now he's like the only one. He's the only one who's gonna be handling the ball. If 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 you're in a fantasy league, pick up Albert Ellis early. Um, but I mean, even last year, like I, I get he was at the two, but like one point six assists, that's even low for like a ball handling two guard. And I'm not I'm not even like an assist guy. I'm like a just go go get buckets guard, you know. The one thing is, like, last year, like, I agree that they weren't overly talented, but I think they were just such a train wreck that it's possible that, like, a new coach and, like, a new energy about this will be better, right? Like, that there will be some chemistry. There will be some fight for one another. Like, I I don't want to rule that out because, like you said, I don't, I don't think this team is, like, overly talented, but I don't look at this team and say, wow, this team has no talent, right? Like, I still think they're more talented than yeah. Trump. But, like... Uh, Albert Ellis shot 36% playing off the ball from three last year, which is a good number. It's, it's fine. Now he's on the ball the whole time. Like, what is he going to shoot from three? 29%? Kamari lands and Michael James, like your best shooters. Is, 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 can, can Michael James even shoot? I, I, I've, never, I've never seen these guys play. Yeah, they, he, he was out all last year. Seems like pretty young, pretty inexperienced. Makeup's weird. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just out on this little team. Yeah, I'm not excited about it. I might have to move them down. But anyway, next up is Boston College. Boston College is another team that like did not do a ton. Got, probably got more talented on the margin by adding some of these freshmen who might have a chance to play right away and Donald Han and Chaz Kelly, but the portal coup with. Uh, Mason Madsen and CJ Pena is uh, relatively underwhelming. And it's this, very underwhelming. Yes. While Feisty last year down the stretch was still not good by any like relative measure. And I don't know that like a year older Quentin Post is the difference. So where do we stand? Do we think that the last year like late season feistiness was a product of Earl Grant really getting it going? Or was it simply a young team that still had some fight left in a league that had a lot of teams that did not have a lot of fight left? Yeah, like the, the league was, wasn't that good. And Boston College had some older guys, and they were playing hard, and they kind of found a way. I have them for next year at number 12. I'm, so I, I, I have them 14. You, you can't sell me on Makai Ashton Langford and DeMar Langford being your best players. Like, you can't do it. Quinton Post is fine. Zachary's fine. You know, these are fine, like, sixth, seventh men. They, they have, a, again, a fine long-term recruiting class with, like, Donald Han and Prince Allegby. But these guys are, like, in the in the real wait, wait and see. I mean, most sub-75 recruits are wait and see for, the, for at least the first year, you know, where, where they're playing minimal roles. The, the Madsen and, and, and Pena additions did, did not make them significantly better. I mean, those those are moves around the margins for a team that needed, like, a serious upgrade. The only, the, only, the only argument I'll listen to here is 
this team lost a lot of close games last year. They were in a lot of fights. They lost by two to Pitt, five to BC, or five to Georgia Tech. They lost by uh, four in overtime to Notre Dame. They lost by four in overtime to Georgia Tech. They lost by two in overtime to Miami. Like this team was in a lot of games. They were very competitive. You know, th- there were not a lot of times last year where BC got run out the gym, and that's a credit to Earl Grant. That's a credit to the group that they had for being as feisty as it was. Like I said, we don't, we don't think this team has great talent. Um, and maybe there's enough to just kind of sneak your way to eight wins, you know, seven, eight wins. And at Boston College, it's, that's tremendous, right? Like, if you win eight games in the ACC at BC, like, they're doing a good job. And I, I think that they weren't that far off from it last year. And it wouldn't stun me if they're able to kind of work their way up this year. But I just I have to hold back talent-wise compared to some of the other programs. They might be a top 100 team. I haven't done. Could be. You know, I, I I I stopped at 60 so far. I'm I ha, I'm gonna have them outside the top 100, I believe. But on your one to 365. Correct. So. Yeah, that's that's all I had on the Eagles. So. Yeah, not 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 that much more for me to say there. Uh, Pittsburgh. A lot of intrigue here. Six and 14 last year. Feel like it could have been worse. They were like dreadful at times last year. Um, I mean, started awful, got blown out opening the year by Citadel, lost by 15 to Vanderbilt, lost to UMBC, you know, lost to Monmouth. I mean, this thing I forgot about that. Ugly, ugly, ugly start to the year. Had a couple of like random runs that were enough to keep Jeff Capel his job, although I think probably that can more be attributed to the contract buyout being very large. Um, this thing never worked. I mean, it wasn't that talented to be with. You thought they were going to struggle. They had issues with backcourt depth in a major way. Um, Femi Odakale did make a jump, but it didn't always feel comfortable. He was turnover heavy. He was a little bit of a ball stop where he wasn't overly efficient. And that backcourt with him and Jamarius Burton was just not good enough offensively. They just didn't have enough options outside of John Hughley in the middle uh, to sustain themselves. Burton um, was suspended. Horton was suspended. That was a huge blow. Um, they had to play that walk-on. Onye Bucci, Izakadu. Uh, I apologize to Mr. Izakudo, Kudo uh, for mispronouncing his name. But look, kudos to any walk-on for becoming a, a rotation player. But uh, there's a reason he was a walk-on. He was not that good. Uh, the depth was brutal. I mean, they weren't getting anything from Nate Santos, Dan Aladipo, Chris Payton. Maxim Madison, Noah Collier, like this bench was just brutal. Uh, and, and it all led to this. So um, they had done a nice job in the spring, kind of adding some complimentary pieces that I think you feel, felt like would give them a chance to be a little bit more competitive, right? They had a Nelly Cummings from Colgate. They had Blake Hinson, who was um, at Ole Miss, and Iowa State. They had Greg Elliott, who was a rotation player at Marquette. They got Nike Sabandi back, who was out last year with the ACL. Uh, they got the Diaz-Graham twins. Like, you were sitting there saying, okay, they're building it up, building it up, and then they take a big swing, and, and a swing that I think was very obviously like a, we know we're getting fired if we're not competitive this year, and they take Dior Johnson, and, and all of a sudden, this team becomes very interesting, if nothing else, because it just kind of feels like a powder keg. And I mean, we didn't even mention Muhammad Gay. 
yes. was so good last year that he got an Exhibit 10 deal, I believe, with Dallas. Unbelievable. From from Stony Brook, then it was a pity hitting threes, blocking shots. Um, so the front court will have a different look, a more skilled look, a little smaller, right? You, you know, Hinson and, and Hughley. Hinson was like a legit combo forward who was pretty good once upon a time. It's been a while. Um, and they have William Jeffries, who uh, hasn't really come along. He was like a top like 50 recruit who reclassified. And it's just been completely lost in the woods since. And then the Diaz twins are both like top 100 guys. They're both skilled bigs. Um, so there, there, there's a fair amount of skill in this front court next to uh, John Hughley. I'm I'm really interested in, in the back court though. How how this is going to shake out? Feels like Greg Elliott's got to play a ton at the three as the shooter. He's actually very good. He he. He's been kind of marginalized at, at, at Marquette, guys beating him out. But he's just a solid – he's very long. He's active defensively, and he just can really shoot it, make, make smart plays. So I'm in there at the three. And then this uh, backcourt, the uh, Dior Johnson powder keg. Oh, my God. How, how will this work out? Bur- Burton's going to be solid. Cummings sh- should be fine. Dior D- Johnson is the uh, – Boomer bust pick right here. I, I I have pit. I think they'll probably be top 100. I have them 11th in the ACC. So not not really pushing for any postseason, but I have them 11th in top 100. Like yeah, like I mean, look, we know Hughley's good enough. We know Hinson at his best was like a very solid starter at this at this level. We know Jamarius Burton can start at this level, right? We know Greg Elliott can start at this level. I'm not even sure he will. Right, we Sabandi was okay the year he was out there. Like, like, like this team at least has like a competent, like a competent roster, a competent rotation, and that like means something. Like, like you say, it feels so much like it's can deal. Like, is Dior going to be like the Dior Johnson we heard about when he was like playing with LeBron James? Uh, LeBron James's kid and like was really talented and like flashy. Is it that, or is it like former top recruit who's actually not good anymore? Uh, I just don't know, right? Like, I, I guess here's my question: Is Nellie Cummings, Greg Elliott, Jamarius Burden, Blake Hinson, and John Hughley a top 100 team? Take out Dior. Say, say that again without. Take out Dior Johnson and say Nellie Cummings, Greg Elliott, Jamarius Burden, Blake Hinson, John Hughley. That's a top 100 team. I would say no, but it, it, it's a slight move because they're they're going to be pr- pretty close to 100. I think it, I think it's def I think it's not definitely, but like, I think it's pretty pretty much. I, I would be pretty confident saying a top 100 team without Dior. I just wonder, like, what are we actually getting here? It's interesting. Like, I want to watch Pittsburgh. It's weird. So, I don't know. Feels probably postseason or bust for Capel. But if they were, like, over 500 but didn't make the NIT, like, I don't know what would happen. Interesting. We saw with Washington that that, yeah. that bought Hopkins in time. But. Perhaps. 
lower expectations there. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech was really bad last year. 5-15, and 12-20 overall. Never competitive. I feel like I barely ever watched this team. Yeah, same here. I mean, just one of those teams that was so irrelevant from so early that you didn't even catch them in, like, non-con games with a value. You know, you're – like, like – like they lost some early ones. They lost opening night to Miami of Ohio on a staff that got fired. They lost four straight high major games in December. And it was like, all right, I'm done. Like, who cares? Um, I, I, I literally do not remember watching them play last year. I'm sure I did, but. Is this it for Pastner? Kind of feels like the end of the road. He did have a good team. During the bubble when they had won a, Moses won, won, won a conference championship, right? Like, yeah. Pastner held on there for a while, had a couple of good teams, just never brought in enough talent, never did enough. Um, if this is it, and I think it probably is, if it's not it, it's the answer would be it's because a guy like Debo Coleman makes a big jump, you know, Avion Smith becomes the true point guard they need, and they kind of get a whole better than the sum of the parts type of thing with Pastner, which he's been able to do in the past. But I, I just look at this roster and I see non-shooting point guard, mediocre shooting guard, Coleman, who's a kind of un- still 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 has a lot of work to do to prove he, how good he is. Mediocre center and Rodney Howard. I like Javon Franklin. I don't love Javon Franklin. Bad bench. We've talked about Lance Terry being a reach for them. You know, I just don't think there's enough talent here. I think it's probably the least talented team in the ACC. Oh, definitely. Either them or or Clemson without PJ Hall. What about Boston College? No, I think I think Boston College. You think Boston College is more talented than Georgia Tech? Okay. Actually, that's close. But I have Georgia Tech 15. Me too. So. Yeah, it, it does feel like the end of the road. Um. You know. I don't think it's completely hopeless because, again, I think there's room to move in that middle, middle bottom. But I have no optimism that it's going to be be their year to jump. So um, if you don't have anything more to add in Georgia Tech, Brad, we can hit NC State, our last team, who is much more interesting and also is a potential hot seat spot with Kevin Keats. NC State isn't that interesting. They have, they have one – like explosive score really broke out with Turquavion Smith. They added a couple solid transfers, guys who should be starters. I think overall they're still light on on talent. Like as Jarkel Joyner as a second best player, I think that's light on talent. And three through five, I I really couldn't tell you how that's going to shake out. A lot of a lot of like seventh best player vibes. Yeah, and I also think that like it's worth it's worth cooling on Turk Smith a little bit. Like I'm not saying that Turquay is not gonna have a good year. He's not gonna put up points. He obviously is. But like, would everyone be talking about Turquay Smith as like the superstar if he didn't have one good game at the combine and basically like a you know a scrimmage? Like, well, I mean, he was, and there's, a, and there's a reason his feedback was still to go back. Like, to make no mistake, like I know the buzz was, oh, whatever, whatever. Turk Smith's feedback was still for most NBA teams go back. Well, I mean, he he was a solid recruiter. He was top 125, and then he had a, a huge freshman year, 
went to the combine and played well. Um, and when you compare him to the other guys at the top, you know, comparing him to Adam Flagler or Jeremy Roach and guys like that, I I think he belongs in that conversation. Now, will his scoring in his prolific offensive play lift NC State to like a tournament team? I don't think so. Um, uh, yeah, I also think he's kind of like a me, 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 me guy, you know. Well, I mean, Joyner is also a scoring guard in the backcourt. I mean, he, he's averaged double figures for, for years. Um, they need to give it to Breon Pass. He's someone I – I know Providence recruited him. He was like a football-only guy who who then was like, no, we're doing basketball. He's supposedly a very good passer. Yeah, and he, and he can really shoot. And he, he's a very good athlete. I kind of I think that taking Joyner is going to look back and be like a bad move because it's going to block pass. Well, like pass, pass didn't do anything last year, but um, I don't care. Yeah. Like, this team's not going to be good with the when it's the Joiner and Smith Chuck show, and potentially and it, Greg Gant starting. Greg Gant's going to start, you think? I mean, I have him there, but like I don't know if that's correct. I have you could put Jack Clark in there. You could put in Mahorchich and go two bigs. I went and, and now this is an extremely un, uneducated guess because. I, I don't even know how much NC State... why you State, need the Almanac. Well, when, when I was watching NC State last year, I, I was focused on my man, Darian Sebron. You love Sebron. I loved watching him play. He was, he was so good to get in the rim. He had great size. I actually watched NC State quite a bit, actually. Um, but I, I, I don't know much about Jack Clark specifically. He, 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 he's like a wing shooter. Put up good numbers at LaSalle, but what does that really mean? Morcel is not going to figure it out. Must have been like some sort of mental block from playing in Virginia where he got, I don't know, maybe anxiety or something. But he's that's two, two spots now at three years. He, he just hasn't figured it out. Ernest Ross, I think, got hurt last year, but was showing some flashes. Greg Gant, he, he can't dribble and he can't shoot. And he's not a physical enough defender to be like a, de- a, a defense first guy. He's just like a below average glue guy who, who can pass pretty well. Um, and then they this this three man front court. Burns is good, right? As like a physical low post scorer uh, with like great touch. Duona started last year, but he's he's not a starting caliber ACC center. Like the the three best players on this team, right, are Joyner, Smith, and Burns. The uh, more I'm rambling on NC State, the more I want to move them down. Yeah, I mean, like, I have them eighth right now, and I think that's wrong. I have them tenth. Yeah, I need to not, I need to move them down. I might. I mean, I, I kind of feel like making them thirteenth. And then you would have fourteen and fifteen be Boston College and Georgia Tech. Yeah, that's correct. I can see it. This is definitely it for Kevin Keats. Yeah, this feels like the end. Um. So that's that's the league. I have five NCAA. Or, yeah, I have five NCAA tournament bids. You have six. Yes. So Notre Dame just sneaking in there. Um, potential coaching moves, hot seat. 
Um, we said NC State. We said Georgia Tech. We said Clemson. We said Pittsburgh. Um, and then we've got three, four, I guess, potential retirements. I'll put Mike Bray in that mix because it kind of feels like he could go at any time. Um, but maybe less likely than Bayheim, who I think there's a good chance this is it. Um, Leonard Hamilton, who there's been kind of some persistent buzz about. Uh, and then Jim Laranaga. All of those guys theoretically could drop at any time and decide, look, I have better things to do in my life than coach 90 hours a week and deal with NIL. So, uh, If uh, Leonard Hamilton leaves, is that open for, for Dennis Gates, or is that going to depend on how Missouri does this year? It could be Dennis. I also don't know that it, you know, Dennis got paid. I'm That's not true. totally convinced that, you know, it's not CY anymore because CY just got, I mean, it could be, I guess, but I don't think you would hire internal. You would hire CY if he's no longer there. Um, I think that one would open up and do a search. Syracuse, I think, would probably just be Autry. Yeah. But I don't know for sure. Miami, no idea. Literally could not tell you. I would imagine a search. I don't think Laranaga has the juice to, like, force on, force somebody on and then Notre Dame only, I think, only John John Ruiz has that juice yes uh and then I think Notre Dame the popular name everyone mentions is uh Martin Inglesby former Notre Dame point guard former Notre Dame guy very tied in I think a lot of people would expect that if if Bray eventually goes it's Inglesby um NC State I think would be the most attractive of the jobs that could open otherwise of the, like the firing jobs I don't think Georgia Tech's that attractive. Pitt, Pitt is certainly not that attractive because it's just so, so struggled so much lately. Um, and then Clemson, I think there will be suitors. I think NC State's probably a better job, but people will like the idea of that like football school uh, that, that Clemson is and the idea that you could kind of build off that brand moving forward. So. Yes, I mean, there – we are in line for a ton of coaching turnover in the ACC. Right. Well, I mean, any any league there where there, where there wasn't a lot of turnover. Like, the Big Ten had no changes other than Maryland. The ACC had no changes other than Duke. Um, like, those leagues are going to be loaded with changes. Now, the SEC, to be light. The Pac-12 is going to have a lot of changes. They didn't have any moves last year. Um, you know, but, like, the SEC dominated last year's cycle. The Big East had a big cycle. Those should be much quieter. So we're we're going to look up and Mike Young is going to be the most tenured coach in the ACC. It's going to be wild. Yeah. Anyway. Any, um, anything, anything else, else? ACC? Um, let's see. I don't think so. I mean, we kind of mentioned all mentioned everybody, all the big players. Yeah. Again, two top five teams, three top 25 teams, UNC, Duke, and Virginia. Miami and Florida State making the tournament cleanly. Notre Dame sneaking in. Virginia Tech, bubble NIT. And the rest, let the decipher. Yes, indeed. All folks. We'll be back next week with another conference. See you then.